Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What is up, everybody? Anthony Cazenza here with the Orange and Black Insider. And yes, Sage, Ohio already. I, I, I'm with you. Just like football says, kickoff is at noon-ish. Yes, we're, we we have a, a live time, and we're always-ish by a couple minutes. And it's always my fault because I'm the late guy. But we're trying to prep and bring you the best show possible, and that's the reason we're sticking with. I'm Anthony. He's John Sheeran, the man, the myth, the legend. What's going on, John? Nothing much, dude. I feel like the off-season juices are kind of flowing now, though. Um, I don't know if it's just because it's been two weeks without NFL football, I should say. The XFL is, is back. It's in action. We can't bet on it for some reason in Ohio, but that was nice to see Ben DiNucci do something with Josh Gordon on like a Seattle team. But I don't know. We're, we're, we're getting back in the swing of things, though. I feel, I feel, feel, more, feel more productive now, I guess. Feeling productive, and the... You know, the way that the, the NFL has situated its calendar is they've extended the playoffs further and further, this extra game at the end of the year, the last couple of years, that window of kind of dead time between the end of a season and the kickoff of NFL free agency is get, gets smaller and smaller. So there's just, you got you got the kickoff of free agency, then you got this the draft and the schedule release, boom, 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 boom. And then, you know, you got a little bit of a lull time in the early part of the summer, but then you get into training camp and all of it. So there's not really huge, huge breaks coming up here and obviously scouting season coming up we had two big draft profiles last week hopefully you enjoyed those Dalton Kincaid the tight end out of Utah uh, as well as the defensive lineman Tuli Tui Tui Pelotu I think I'm saying that correctly uh two of those there both on the long version of the show and we separated those on the YouTube channel for you if you wanted the digestible thing we've got a free agency profile to talk about at the end of the show today. We're going to talk about some offensive tackles and Bengals free agency in terms of what they've been doing and all of that. But in case you are new here, welcome. We love to have you. We've been around for a while, but we always love new people stopping by, checking out the program. As I mentioned, I'm Anthony. He's John. You can get this show underneath John there. There is uh, underneath that SB Nation logo on his side of the screen. There is a show icon. Click that to subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available on the YouTube side. And then, of course, if you like the audio side of things, you can get this show along with Bengal Jim and Friends Talking Football and Matt Minnick's Coach Speak Chalk Talk on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones, we are there. And that's going to tee us up, John. I mentioned free agency. Bengals already making moves. They're making moves. In free agency, can you believe it? Keeping some of their own. Talk about it, John. A one of weeks week one's most important position of this last Oof. year. Oof. <laughs> Cal Adamitis resigns with the Cincinnati Bengals as of Wednesday. The news we've all been waiting for, right? The extension that we've all been just targeting. <laughs> we didn't know when it was going to happen, but sure enough, yep. we hit the wire. I believe like at Eastern time this morning. Kyle Itemitis in the Bengals contract meeting rooms, inking his one-year deal. Very lucrative offer of, I believe, $170,000 just because it is an exclusive rights for agent tender. It's essentially just a one-year non-guaranteed deal that basically confirms he has a spot in the 90-man offseason roster. Anything beyond that is very much up for grabs, but you have long snapper and punter potentially 
either having increased competition this offseason or you might want to run it back with the battery that you had. Maybe Punter has more competition attached to it because of how Drew Crispin ended the season. But, Anthony, I feel like Cal Minus ended his season the same way he began. It was very stable and solid. I believe Bengals.com listed him with 146 total snaps this year. There may have been a handful, like two or three, that were a little bit questionable, but... You know, it wasn't noticeable like, oh, man, I really wish Clark Harris was healthy. Now we all love Clark Harris, the human, the player, and, and the long snapper and all that. But Kalen Midas filled his role very adequately at the very least this season as a rookie. You know, he came into the league as one of the top long snappers, maybe the top long snapper in college football. Darren Simmons obviously targeted that position for competition, considering Clark Harris is uh, approaching you know, the end of his career, whenever that may be. But He's done enough, I think, to at least earn a spot on the offseason roster. And, you know, I don't see the need necessarily to give him competition this offseason unless Clark Harris wants to try to run him back and not end his career on an injury. Yeah, it's either that scenario or the one wherein they bring in a guy kind of like who Cal Adamitis was, undrafted free agent, maybe make your way through the practice squad and somehow on the on the final roster, hopefully not by injury, but maybe by you know, earning your way on or, or something of that nature, more preferably, obviously. But look, I mean, this is one of those things. We do the the awards weekly on CincyJungle.com. And on here, we talk about it a little bit. We call it the Unsung Hero uh, Award. And usually that's either kind of a guy who the criteria we use for that is someone who steps up in the wake of injury and plays well or someone who, you know, on the offensive line, defensive line, special teams, that sort of thing, doesn't get readily recognized for their efforts and, and what they do, maybe, you know, a lot of times in those regards, not hearing your name being called, particularly on the offensive line or special teams, is a good thing. And that's kind of what Cal Adamitis embodied this year, right? We just didn't really have to talk about him in the negative way. The one thing I, I just I don't know about is that little blip of in the radar by Evan McPherson. Was there something going on with the snaps and holds and that sort of thing? I don't know. I'm sure McPherson would never throw his long snapper or holder under the bus in that regard. You have to you have to also figure, I know a lot of people are kind of down on, on McPherson for that little stretch there in the middle end of the season where he was missing extra points and whatnot. Again, that's why Darren Simmons wanted to keep Clark Harris, Kevin Huber together despite some of their perceived deficiencies later in their career, namely Huber, because that little battery of, of the kick hold, you know, snap hold kick type of type of deal. And for the most part though, I mean, getting new, a new punter and a new long snapper in the same season and not, not in off season, right? I mean, it, this was, this had to happen in the middle of the year for both of these moves. And they both went about as smooth as you could possibly believe the situation that that was presented in front of them yeah and i mean long snapper is not necessarily a position that's like in dire need of of an injection of talent i feel like the vast majority of teams like maybe one or two have issues period like sporadically throughout any given season so it's not like it was something that was like out of the ordinary here for adamitis just being competent even as a 24 25 year old rookie but you're right like they kept ultimately clark and kevin to begin the season not because Drew or Cal did anything wrong in the preseason. It was just Kevin and Clark didn't really screw up, and you might as well keep the continuity for the sake of keeping the continuity. And yeah, there, there was, again, that one or two lulls that Evan McPherson had in the middle of the season. I think once he was suffering from some slight inconsistencies that, again, I think are a little bit overblown considering some of the, the context with it. Yeah, like you, you're going to look at anything and everything as re- potential reasons why some of those, you know, normal makes where end up being misses and maybe that led to some overanalyzing on what the snap was and what the hold was and everything like that so I think being under the microscope was just an unfortunate you know circumstance with how the season played out with the special teams unit but again like there was nothing here that suggested that Adamitis shouldn't be given another chance to have the spot in 2023 well Adamitis is in the fold here kind of one of the ones that you figured they would get done and hopefully he just continues to grow and this is a situation where we don't have to talk about injuries to long snappers. We don't have to talk about the effect of an injury to a long snapper and or, you know, a, a Brad St. Louis random situation from years <laughs> and years ago. Don't say so, that. So I know, I know. I'm already putting the kibosh on the thing. Um, but congratulations to him. Well-deserved. What dominoes next might be falling for the Bengals in terms of internal free agents? Because that's kind of where we're going to have to probably look here, John, as as 
you know, we kind of think we, we mentioned this last week. We've kind of felt like the Bengals are going to be inwardly focused a bit more this year instead of outwardly focused because their roster, number one, is in a lot better shape. And number two, they've got important players set to hit free agency. Uh, this guy quietly was one of them just because I say quietly because of his position. But I mean, obviously, you've got Von Bell, you've got Jesse Bates, you've got some of these other guys out there. I, I think some of those kind of, if they do come at all, I think they come later on. But where, where are you seeing the next dominoes falling? Yeah, so again, Callan Midas was not an unrestricted free agent. He had he was basically, his rights were controlled by the team as an exclusive rights free agent. There's, the only, one other, there's only one other guy on this free agent list for the Bengals who fits that description. That's Elijah Holyfield, who, if you don't remember, for anyone listening, he got injured in the in training camp this past uh, offseason, so he was never really a factor with the roster. So whether or not he's healthy right now, it could determine if, if he comes back. But there's four restricted free agents here, and being a restricted free agent, you, got, you can be placed the first-round tender, a second-round tender, meaning the team who signs you has to give up that pick in order to sign you at whatever the, the rate is or just the original round, like undrafted uh, free agent rate. And that's still, I think, $2.5 million this year. And those guys are Jalen Davis, Joe Bocci, Clay Johnson, Mitchell Wilcox. I don't know about you, but none of those four guys really scream $2.5 million even for a one-year deal. So what the Bengals could do here, because they had a couple of these instances last year where they had some either exclusive right free agent or just restricted free agents, and they just let those... Uh, periods of res- of restriction expire, and then they became unrestricted free agents, and then they signed them to essentially veteran minimum deals. But I still think a guy like Clay Johnston, for example, special team savant, always being used every week in, in those specific roles, whether on punt team or kickoff team, while also being your fourth or fifth linebacker, I feel like he would be another guy that wouldn't necessarily need to wait until free agency opens. Like I feel like he has a good role here within the team. They want him back. Just get that situation under wraps before you have to deal with some of these guys who have to open the market. And Mitchell Wilcox might be another example of that. Again, I don't think you pay Mitchell Wilcox the original round tender price of two and a half for three million or whatever it is, but you still like him as a depth piece and he's not really going to get anything on the market anyway. So he probably has a place here if the team wants to bring him back before all the craziness begins in the middle of March. Good thing. Uh, good comment here from i believe that's our buddy will uh will lewis i I could be wrong about that but uh, i bet they signed trey flowers back pretty soon he fits the Bengals' defense well and not only does he fit it well he fits it well specifically because lou anarumo is back with the cincinnati Bengals. so that could be another kind of one-year deal one of those kind of swiss army knife type of players that they have on the defense that they are able to bring back on a on a team-friendly deal if i remember correctly though he was signed kind of late into, after the start of free agency or, or a little bit after the, the free agency kicked off last year after joining the team late in 2021 and being a nice piece. So maybe they let the things play out there. I don't know. And of course, even though it seems unlikely that the Bengals will use the franchise tag yet again for Jesse Bates, um, that, that window is now open that teams can use uh, franchise tags on players. And I think, what is it? March 7th is the deadline that uh, yeah. the players have to be tagged by. So, um, you know, they, the Bengals have uh, time if they want to decide that obviously they may be scrambling for some sort of extension or at least maybe talking to them to see, Hey, this is kind of the last, last offer we're putting out there. I don't know, but again, that seems that the the gap there is, is pretty wide in terms of where those, those players seem to be. And then, Oh, by the way, piece of news with him he was out he was seen out uh hanging out with a couple of falcons players kyle pitts and others maybe that's pointing to a guy who ends up joining that team i don't know yeah so the commonality with that dinner was kyle pitts aj terrell and there was one other falcons player who's escaping me at the moment uh casey hayward the veteran cornerback yeah it was casey their agent their agents are all or david mulligan represents all those players for the falcons so there's nothing in the rule book saying that four or five players who share the same agent who happen to be on different teams can't all share a meal together and post it on Instagram. <laughs> but this was yeah. definitely a case of, hey, the Falcons need a safety. We all are represented by uh, Jesse Bates' agent. Why don't we coordinate a dinner and maybe talk about the Atlanta Falcons a little bit before free agency begins, just in case, you know, there's some some mutual interest. Tampering happens behind the scenes every single year from the time that even before the season ends in some way, shape or form. It doesn't always happen out in the open like this, but this is just what it is. And I think when it comes to the franchise tag, 
I feel like, Anthony, there's a couple players, including Jesse Bates, that the tag, minus the money, like the money aside, it makes sense to tag him again, but the money is always going to be a factor with that. And if you were to tag Jesse Bates again, it would be whatever the tag number is for safeties this year, plus an additional couple million because it's the second amount, second the year. second tag yeah. that they place on him. So that's north of 15, 16 million, which is about the same amount of money that the Bengals would have paid Jesse Bates up front had they had he agreed to the extension last year. And I feel like Jermaine Pratt would be like the obvious tag uh, candidate here just because he had such a great year under uh, on his contract year and you want to see him do it again. But again, that price tag is like $19, $20 million. So yes, there are like some players who logistically fit the bill for a tag, but I feel like there's just none that also financially makes sense. And, and the Bengals have to consider how much cash they can give up front for just a one-year deal when they have some of these extensions looming. They have, yeah, they have extensions looming. And again, you also have to look at the positions in which they have placed premiums uh, uh, traditionally. And safety, if you look at the draft history, positionally in terms of high round picks and whatnot and who they pay extensions to, um, safety is is just not one of them. And, and you know, uh, non-pass rushing linebackers like a Jermaine Pratt, they pay them, but they, you know, they've paid Vontez Perfect pretty well, but... Um, you know, I mean, that I don't, I don't see that being a reasonable amount of money, at least for on a one-year deal for for a guy like Pratt. Not that he's not a good player, but because of the positional value and where what the Bengals traditionally place in terms of value on those on those positions. Yeah, if if T Higgins let's say doesn't get extended, we're going to have the same type of timeline here that we did with Jesse Bates. Probably like fast forward a year from now, if T Higgins is not, is not signed under a long-term deal, we're going to play this game that we did with Bates uh, this time last year. They're going to try to work for a deal up to the deadline. And then the the tag will probably be placed on Higgins. But like you can, you can sense that from a year out. We're two weeks out from the tag window being expired here. And there's just not a sense that the tag is going to be used on any players like Hayden Hurst, maybe another guy who, again, fits the bill as a player but again the, the financials just aren't there if, if your price tag for Hayden Hurst is not north of like seven eight million dollars per year so it just all depends on again how valuable that player is and if that value matches whatever the price tag is but going back to some of these other guys who the tag is not really in the question but guys who could be resigned before uh the the, the new league year begins Trent Taylor was a guy who was resigned way early this time last year, I believe he was like the first guy who was re-signed essentially to his futures deal. He was yeah. again the, the sixth re- receiver for this team. He was still, you know, a, a kick re- or a pump returner, the main pump returner for this team. I guess he got outed by Travion Williams as the kickoff returner in the middle of the season, but he still had a role. And I feel like until they find someone who can supplant him, maybe more explosive option, I feel like he probably has a spot here just because he just hasn't really made mistakes enough to not come back, and he's still young enough. I think, I think he's going to be 29 this year. And another guy, Anthony, I believe is Michael Thomas, the safety, who is a great veteran presence. He's He was a captain this year. A lot of the younger guys looked to him. A lot of the older guys looked to him, too, because he's going to be 34 years old this year. Yeah. Just because you have so much uncertainty with both Von Bell and Jesse Bates being free agents, you have two young guys in Dax Hill and Tyson Anderson looking to take the leap. I feel like it would be in the team's best interest to just make sure that Michael Thomas is just here for the offseason and can kind of go from there. Yeah, I got. Was he in his eleventh year, twelfth year? Uh, he was. Yeah. He was one of the guys also that, at the end, when they were kind of doing the the clean out of the lockers for the year this this past, you know, just a few weeks ago, um, he was kind of the ones that had one of those interviews where you go, hmm, you know, that's just a guy. You know, he wasn't sure about his future, and then you kind of say, you know, that's just a guy you kind of think would be a good fit to keep him around in the locker room for a variety of reasons. So yeah, um, I think obviously, you know, the financials part of it is going to play into the ease of the next domino falling in terms of who they, you know, that that's going to play a big part of it. So um, I think for that reason, a lot of those names you mentioned could be on deck for the Bengals. Well, there's a lot of talk about the offensive line. There's a lot of talk of cap casualties and John one specific offensive tackle is kind of starting to get a little bit, at least on Twitter and other places, a little bit of, a bad rap uh, with the Bengals, and we want to talk about that for the State Your Case. Go for it, my man. Yeah, I feel like on Twitter, at least the, the parts that I'm on, there's like a quota that Bengals tour has to meet like every two weeks to... 
I don't want to say slander. I want to say you know defame, but just trash talk Jonah Williams. Just it's just who he is at this point. He is he is the resident. He's the new resident whipping boy for the Bengals offense line, and that title is shared with Alex Redman, with Bobby Hart, with Billy Price, and Jonah Williams doesn't deserve to be listed with that group of individuals because he's so much better than that. But it's it's gotten to the point where we kind of know who Jonah Williams is at this point, and for a lot of people, it's not enough. And I think it's especially not enough considering he's going to be on a fully guaranteed one-year deal that's worth almost $13 million. And that sounds like a lot until you realize how much left tackles are getting on the open market nowadays. Like, I believe Orlando Brown is up for an extension this year. He's trying to stick at left tackle. He's probably going to get well north of $20 million. How much of a difference is there between Orlando Brown and Jonah Williams? Honestly, honestly, because people watch Jonah Williams, and they see the bad sacks that he gives up to some of the best edge rushers in the NFL. He sees Miles Garrett. They see Miles Garrett beat him consistently twice a year. They see some of these other ugly reps that lead to sacks because he blocks on the blind side, right? They see that. They don't see the 95% of other reps where he's very technically sound, where he does his job well, where he's a solid pass-blocking left tackle, right? He had a level of play in 2020-2021 that was stable, that was solid, that was consistent, and it was enough. And it's why he was placed with the fir- with the fifth-year option this past offseason. And there was an expected jump that he was going to take, and he didn't take that jump, right? He kind of stayed in this middling, average-tier level of play for a left tackle, and I get it. I get the frustration that you want more out of that position, but I don't think the proper turn for discourse is to say this guy's trash and they need to move on immediately. They need to take the dead cap. They need to find a replacement. They need to bench him. You're going to bench a $13 million tackle for the, for, for what? For what? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see the better options that are feasible here. Like you can always, you know, you know, conjure up these pipe dream trade scenarios, trading up in the draft to take one of the top tackles or anything like that. I, I, I get that. It's the offseason. Anything goes and there's no repercussions. But when you talk about the offensive line, it always gets brought up that Jonah Williams just isn't enough. And I understand that. I understand the frustration. But the Bengals have made their bed here. They made their bed. They're going to start Jonah Williams at $12.5 million in cap hit at the position that they haven't moved him off of. That's another thing. There's always this con- con- constant discussion about moving Jonah Williams inside and moving him to right tackle. If they haven't done it by now, I don't think they ever will do it. I think moving him at this point in his career is definitely against his best interest. It's definitely not going to improve his play. And then you have to figure, they have their three interior guys basically solidified at this point. He's not going to play right guard. He's not He's not playing center. I don't think moving him to left guard and just putting Cordell Volson in limbo is a good move either. And again, I would think that he would have been a decent right tackle had they developed him early early in his career at that spot, but they haven't. I don't know how moving him and changing up his technique that's already not necessarily at the level that you aspire to be for an 11th overall pick. I don't think moving him to the opposite side where you're basically going from right hand to left hand, I don't think that's necessarily the best move for him. I, I just I just grow tired of it, to be honest with you, because Lel Collins was a considerably worse player this year, and I, don't, I know a lot of people don't want to admit that, but that was just the case. If you watch both these guys on a snap-for-snap basis on who was more consistent, Jonah Williams was 10 times out of 10, and he was doing it with a dislocated knee. Like, I just... There's, there's just too much, man. And I feel like I sometimes I forget that I have a platform to speak on these things. And when I do remember, I just got to say it. Jonah Williams well, is not out of control. Preach. Now, you got you got a couple of live live chat comments here. Gave up one of the highest sack totals in the league this year. Not good enough. Sacks are here. not an individual offensive line stat. I'm so sick and tired of that. He's going up against Miles Garrett and some of the best edge rushers in the league. And, yes, he loses bad, but he doesn't lose all the time. Just when he loses, sacks happen. That's just what happens. It's a quarterback stat, man. It's a quarterback stat. <laughs> God. He's, he's one of the worst-rated left tackles in the NFL, Daniel Thomas. Here's the thing. With this, John – you and I on a state your case, we're usually on the same wavelength, at least most of the time or for the most part. I'm with you on a lot of different ways with this. There, there are some things, though, that caused me to step back and cause me to worry. Now, the sack thing, I, I understand your frustration and I am in agreement with you in the fact that, dude, you know, sacks are a, a symptom of other things happening, not necessarily just of a left tackle, just of a one, of, of one player. The bottom line is, those get credited to one player, fair or not. They're getting credited to him. And here's the thing. I know there are a lot of other stats and elements to look at on the offensive line, pressure rates, run blocking grades, all of it, right? But the bottom line is these sacks have been a chronic problem since Burrow has got here. And 
they they derail drives. And these are the things when when you see the Bengals come up just short, the talking point is the sacks, the hits, the pressures, all of that that come with that. So that's that's kind of where, where I have a problem with the sack thing. And I, I am in agreement with you, though, that the sack stat is overblown and or sometimes blame gets misplaced on that. Here's the thing, though. You see this picture that's up if you're watching the video. This is where my concern lies with Jonah Williams. I think he's I think he's a solid tackle when he plays. I think there are some misconceptions about what he how how bad he could be because of the sack numbers and all this kind of stuff. It's the missed time overall that I worry about, John. And aside from that, you you know, we credit him and I've credited him as well as playing on two bad knees this year, but dislocated his kneecap on both knees, which is horrific. Here's my problem with that specific injury. And I don't have a medical degree. I'm not a doctor, but from what I limited, I know about dislocations. When you have that injury, that can be a somewhat chronic injury. You can continue to have that injury occur, whether it's a shoulder, whether it's a kneecap, that sort of thing. Um, I could be wrong about that. Again, I don't have a medical degree, but I've known people that have dislocated things and they say it's a chronic problem, right? It, it's like, oh, if I if I lift wrong, if I do something wrong, that thing will pop out of place again. I got to pop it back into place. So that worries me a bit with Jonah Williams going forward is, is this going to be another thing where, you know, next year he's chugging along, playing decent middle of the season. Bengals maybe don't make the most heavy investments in the offensive line backup wise other starters that sort of thing up oh, here goes here goes Jonah's knee he's out for another month six weeks during a playoff stretch uh, or a run to the playoffs that concerns me because these can be chronic issues dislocations and joints yeah and it helps that he's only what 25 26 years old so like he's he's not like you know 35 40 out there like dealing with these knee issues but it is something to, to monitor going forward which is why saying all this, there is a long-term issue aside from the injuries too. Like he's only under contract for one more year. Right. And if you were to evaluate who John Williams is right now, he's a guy that you, that 30, at least 30 teams, if he was available, like they would sign him and they would ask him to compete for a starting job because he's that good, despite what the narrative is. But going forward, if you talk about an extension, yeah, you might want to see a little bit more than that. And that, that's fine. We can have that conversation as well. People get lost in the bad reps. They get lost in playing Cleveland twice a year. And yes, Miles Garrett is really good. And yes, he's a definite mismatch compared to Jonah Williams. Take the Cleveland games out of this, and I want you to name me a bad Jonah Williams game. Like week one, yeah, sure, Alex Highsmith gave him the business a couple times. After like the first couple weeks when the offense line was in complete disarray for the most part, he was still pretty dang good. And he did not get Joe Burrow killed on some of these blindside hits that the, the narrative seems to be. It's the Cleveland games, dude. It's the Cleveland games. It's the AFC North games. And it sucks. Burrow doesn't even play his best against the AFC North. That wasn't the case this past year. It was a problem for the offense as a whole. And it was a problem for the left tackle because the left tackle is put in the most precarious situations. He doesn't have the help that Cordova Olsen has inside. But if you watch him every single snap like I have, I've watched every single snap of his at least twice or three times for his entire career, and I'm telling you, this guy is not as bad as people say he is. No, and I think also if you solidify things around him and the other things, whether it's continuing to develop the current group you have or replacing a couple of the people even you put in the lineup last year specifically, um, you know, I think think maybe that helps you out. Maybe having an extra, you know, the other thing that that is lost in translation with this as well is the Bengals tight end group. They lost Drew sample, a blocking tight end to, that could potentially help out with this sort of thing. Yes. They had Mitchell Wilcox. They have Hayden Hurst who isn't known as the most sound blocker. They don't, you know, they didn't have that Reggie Kelly type of guy to come in there and aid the offensive tackles. I see there was a comment about Willie Anderson didn't give it, give up sacks and that is co- totally correct. And that's why he should be a hall of famer. But a lot of people forget that how great that line was with Carson Palmer. Who was the guy that was the unsung hero? Who was the guy that Carson Palmer and those tackles always talked about as a key guy to help out what that offense did and not as a pass catcher, but it was Reggie Kelly, a blocking tight end who helped pave the way, help the tackles as an extra body up front to get Rudy Johnson, those big years to get Carson Palmer, those big years. So I, I think that may be also now that may be also an indictment, on Jonah Williams saying, hey, you know, he needs help. Why does he need help? I get that argument too. But 
I don't know, man. I, I, I'm i with you in the fact that it's overblown, but I do have long-term concerns about the picture that you're looking at there with the knees. And, um, you know, regardless of who they get credited to, the Bengals, I, and I know sacks are an overblown stat to a lot of folks, but they have derailed important games. They have derailed important drives in this run that the Bengals have put together these last couple of seasons. They have to be cut down. They simply have to be cut down. And I'm perfect. I'm perfectly fine discussing that. I'm, that's that's why I'm on the show with you, Anthony, because you're a very reasonable and rational person. If you lead the oh, discussion, thanks. thanks a lot. If you <laughs> if you lead the discussion with Jonah Williams sucks, it's a non-starter because you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, look, I don't. What the Bengals will do in the draft here is going to be really, really intriguing in these first couple of rounds because they have questions whether depending on how you look at this situation, they have questions at left tackle. Maybe not, even if you are in Jonah's corner in this, maybe not for this year, but they have questions at, at left tackle for the foreseeable future. 100%. Because his, so there's there are questions there, and then there's questions on the right side because you invested in Lael Collins. He didn't finish the year, had a subpar year, as you mentioned, and now he's coming off of a knee injury that's going to be, you know, when, when's he coming back, right? I mean, so there's all of these questions at both tackles, but – I mean, I, I think there are worse, to, to your point, I think there are worse situations for the Bengals, much worse situations for the Bengals to be in at left tackle. I see someone else had mentioned, you know, they should give Jackson Carmen an, another hard look at left tackle this next year because of namely what he did against Buffalo. But you look at the following game against the Chiefs and there were problems. So, I mean, uh, again, they <laughs> – you're I think that the offensive line unfortunately even with the investments they made last year and I know injuries hit them real hard uh, across the board there really I mean for what is it four of their starters if you include Karras's knees at the end there um you know four of their starters got hit with with pretty bad injuries but still we're in another offseason and the talking point is what's going on with the offensive line what's the future of the offensive line what's the immediate look of the offensive line well, this is where it's gone with Jonah Williams because the, the perception, the narrative is at a point where Jackson Carmen can have a semi-decent half of football against the Ravens when the Ravens didn't game plan or scout for him and then takes advantage of very good conditions in snowy Buffalo without a dominant pass rusher. And all of a sudden, he's better than Jonah Williams. Like, like what are we doing here? And I, I, again, it, it's all about how to practically go forward with this. And if you discuss potentially drafting an offensive lineman within the first couple of rounds, you'll get that same group of people that say, well, I don't trust the Bengals to draft offensive line. So, so what, what's the plan here? Are you going to pay Orlando Brown $25, 26000000 million per year? Are you going to try to find some other expensive left tackle that might be a marginal upgrade over Julian Williams, but you're paying a premium for when you have other guys to pay for? I just I don't know where to take this conversation other than just yell, and I don't like yelling. <laughs> Akila with a with a top rope comment here. Uh, Jonah Williams is the is Andy Dalton painfully fine, too good to replace, not good enough to not consider it. Interesting take on that one. Um, and I also got a link, I believe it was to All Bengals via Ian Rappaport from our guy Will Lewis, uh, telling us that Jonah Williams did have surgery on that dislocated kneecap. So um, that's another thing to kind of continue to look at as this offseason progresses. I, I would be hard pressed. To, to see if the Bengals don't go tackle not only early in the draft, but in free agency as well, not necessarily to, to replace Jonah Williams this year, but perhaps next and or groom someone for that right side. We'll see what happens, but that is a good segue for our free agency profile. And that was a great state. Your case, John heated one, a heated one. I love it. Well, more, more it. like yell your case. I'm sorry. Yeah. Guys. yeah it's a scream your case. I love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, Let's, as we mentioned, there's some questions about the left side, but there's also questions about the right side. I just talked about Leo Collins, the knee injury, a little bit of subpar play, disappointing from, uh, you know, from the big signing last. Everybody was ecstatic, myself included, with the signing, but there was always the disclaimer with Leo Collins. There were swings of greatness. There were swings of not so great play. And then, of course, a lot of missed time, a lot of missed practice. And the last two, unfortunately came to fruition. So now the Bengals, especially if they want to resign a Jesse Bates, if they want to extend it, T Higgins, get a deal done with Burrow, do some outside free agency stuff. They have some hard decisions to make. Obviously the talking points for a lot of people right now uh, in terms of cap casualties are uh, Joe Mixon 
being one, or restructure, and Lael Collins on the right side. So where might the Bengals go if they were to go outside? Let's have a look at a guy that could intrigue them. And this is uh, a profile on Juwan Taylor, Jaguars tackle here. And, John, this is a guy that the Bengals had some familiarity with. I'm going to go full screen on this bad boy. Familiarity with uh, in terms of, you know, the draft. He was drafted in the same class. Uh, top of the top of the second round, I believe, as Jonah Williams back in 2019, and a guy who's young. He's ascending. You see here, six five, three twelve. He's entering his fifth season. He is 25. He doesn't turn 26 until the middle of November. Went to Florida. Is from Florida, but a guy that the Bengals had some pre-draft interest in. They hosted him for a visit back then, and along with others in that tackle class, a guy who has played. Every single game at right tackle for the Jaguars since being there, he had an overall grade PFF 58.7 last year. PFF pass block grade, uh, personal best 76.4. Pressures allowed 16. Penalties 6 overall. Started all 18 games. Or I guess that would be, what, 19 instead um, if you include the two postseason games there. So he has been uh, – and here are some reps here. You can see here – I'll go back on this because it's kind of far away. It might be a little hard to see, but let's go back a sec. When you look here, he doesn't he doesn't really get in the mix here. Uh, he's right here. You can see my cursor. Uh, I don't know if there's a miscommunication on this play. I don't know if there was what the what the assignment was. He doesn't get anybody, so someone gets by him there. So and then that becomes a turnover against the Chargers in that crazy game. Here he is against Watt. Sort of holding his own. Nice push away from Watt and, and getting on to the other blocker. That led to the big play. Here he is against Josh Allen uh, in practice. Uh, you know, ends up holding his own. Gets pushed back a little bit. Holds his own there a little bit. Here he is um, in pass protection there against Kyle Van, Van Noy, I believe. Led to an interception. Here he is run blocking. Let's go back to this one and we can take a closer look at it. Um, right here. We'll fast forward in just a second. All right, so let's – here he is down here, um, and he was the guy that kind of paved the way for this cutback lane for Travis Etienne to cut back and get a nice gain here. Etienne goes um, – here's the play again. Oh, this is a different – no, it's the same play. Cutback. You can see the cutback lane there. And then, of course, uh, there's another one right up here. He, he seals off his blocker to, to get uh, outside. There, there's a broken contain outside. Now, again, some of that's against, uh, you know, the Texans last year. So you can see he's he's adept in a lot of different areas and a guy that, you know, um, look, this offense wasn't very good and this team wasn't very good until this year. So you, you kind of have some questions about like, well, you know, how much of it was – the team not having a lot of talent, how much of it was, you know, him growing as a player still, as I mentioned, very, very young. And that was a, a ceiling play there. He, he sealed off a player. So you see the pros young and ascending. He cut the pressures in half this year, 16. I think he had about 34 was the average highest pass block grade in 2022 of his career. Very, very durable, which is one of the greatest attributes of him. And the Bengals did have a pre-draft visit with him showing some interest potentially. So if they did not go with Jonah in the first round, that draft that they went a different direction, he might have been their guy atop the second round there. Uh, is he a true stud right tackle? Um, I, I said, is he a product of past bad teams? Is he close to the ceiling? Um, you know, and then, of course, how affordable or, or attainable is this guy? Um, you know, is he a guy that might he be a franchise tag? We've talked about some of these guys in years past and then they end up getting franchise tagged or get a quick uh, contract with someone else. And that's that. So how, how affordable is that? And how can the Bengals make that work salary cap wise, roster wise to bring a guy in here? Obviously it would probably be Collins. That's the, you know, the, the cap casualty to, to bring in a replacement here. I just don't, you know, I, I, there are things I like about him. I don't know if there's a lateral move there. I don't think the pendulum is swings as wildly from positive to negative as Lael Collins. I think this guy may be a little bit more steady. But again, for a guy, is he, a, is he an absolute stud? 
or is he a guy that's going to get a lot of money because everybody is just clamoring for any kind of steady offensive line play? Simply put, if Jawan Taylor is on the team last year, like the Bengals offensive line is a lot better. Um, where he where he kind of lacks is consistency in the run game, and that's a bit yeah. surprising to me considering 35-inch arms, like very solid frame, very well built. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what the Jags love to run in terms of scheme, in terms of their run game, but it's Doug Peterson's offense, so they're kind of versatile in there. So that, that would be my lone concern here. I, I don't think the Bengals... Specifically, Frank Pollock. I don't think they they target guys who have run blocking as like their glaring weakness. But in terms of pass protection, like he was as stable as they come. Now, beyond beyond the sack numbers that are misleading, he was very consistent in terms of just his overall production. In terms of just week to week, very solid. There there was very little glaring lulls within his 2022 campaign. Now, contract year for sure, but I, I think there was enough as a third-year player in 2021 where you say, okay, he's building off of this and he's continuing to progress as a player. It's all, it's all going to come down to price because right tackle, that market is about to eclipse 20 million. Like Ryan Ranchek is the highest paid guy there. He makes 19.2. Brian O'Neill's at 18 and a half. Lane Johnson's at 18. So that market is on the cutting net or it's on the, the edge of getting closer and closer to left tackle. I believe PFF has him projected at 16 million per year, but again, projections before free agency actually happens is pretty useless considering his team last year, the Jaguars completely knocked, you know, inflated like three different positions based because it just had so much money. So it could be a team like the Chicago bears who just have infinite amounts of cap space. that could just overpay guys like Juwan Taylor, at least overpay compared to what they're projected to get. Right. So Juwan Taylor at 15 million per year sounds pretty good. Juwan Taylor at 20, 21 and a half million per year resetting the market sounds not as good. Right. And of course there's, there's this enigma of a situation with Lyle Collins, right? Because a lot of his contract is in a roster bonus and per game roster bonuses. If he doesn't play, he doesn't get like 2.4 million per, uh, uh, for this year. And the financials beyond that are kind of beyond me at this point. It's just so much up in the air because you don't know how healthy he's going to be for the start of the season. You don't know if he's going to, if he's going to be affordable enough to just stash on the bench or stash on the pup lip. They have a lot of questions to answer, but I feel like Jawan Taylor as a pass protector would definitely solidify that spot going forward. I feel like you just know who he is at that spot in that phase of the game. And you just might have to work through the run blocking issues as you go for about a little over four years younger than Lael Collins. And again, when you look at the injuries, to too. Jo- yeah, when yeah, you look but- at the injuries to Jonah Williams, you look at the injury to Lael, um this last year and the injury history to Lael Collins, the durability with this guy really strikes me as something that is appealing for him so again it's kind of like you know is how affordable is he might he get tagged by the jags i don't know the things i have read from jaguars blogs and other jaguars sites kind of make it seem like he's going to go get paid elsewhere and that they're not going to tag him but i guess stranger things have happened um but a guy i think you know it's it stinks to be talking about man what do they got to do on the offensive line again what do they got to do with the tackle position again this year but it's one where you kind of feel like that's this is a guy who could who could be probably pretty solid for you on that right side and i feel like again the, the injury is definitely attributed to this oh we're we're centering uh doomsday narratives again for like the third year in a row with the offensive line but i mean the injuries definitely played a factor in that but even if there there weren't injuries right you have Lyle Collins, who before he was injured, just wasn't very good when he was playing for the Bengals on a snap-per-snap basis. And then Jonah Williams was entering a contract year. So you're still going to have these long-term questions at both offensive tackle spots. It just seems a little bit more pressing now because both these guys are injured and you're just not sure what they're going to be in 2023. Well, that's an option they, they will look at exploring, particularly if they let a Jesse Bates walk, if they are looking to make cap casualties of a couple of guys and or restructure a couple of guys contracts, maybe spread out um, the money hit that they currently have said. I don't know, but um, this would be a guy again. uh, The rest of the roster seems to be in in pretty good shape. It's once again, that offensive line, what are they going to do? How are they going to eliminate the hits, the sacks, the problems, the inconsistencies up front and this is a guy i think um again i don't he's not going to probably be a perennial pro bowl type of guy for you um he's not an absolute 
you know, stud in the run block game. You saw, I think, what, what did I say? It was mid-70s for the pass block grade and high 50s overall. So that tells you probably the disparity, right, between um, pass block and run block there from PFF's metrics. But a guy I think could be a good addition for the Bengals if they decide to go another direction at right tackle. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. We're getting out of here short, buddy, uh, but uh, a, lo- a lot to get to. What do you have for us, my friend? Some minor life news. I adopted a Bengal of my own, a little three-year-old cat by the name of Ava. She is a domestic long hair, diluted calico. I didn't know what three or four of those words meant until I adopted her on Saturday. <laughs> but she, she's a sweetheart, and she awesome. um, got into the habit of getting on my desk, I believe, today. So in the near future, if you see a little little furry creature kind of scroll over your screen, do not be alarmed. That's just that's my new my new buddy. Welcome to the family, Dad. Ava. That's awesome. Where I, shelter or like was it someone yeah. a friend or okay, very cool. How old is she? Yeah, she's she's three. She like okay. her birthday was projected to be February of twenty twenty, um, but yeah, got her from Ohio Alley Cat. Uh, Ohio Alley Cat is what it's what's what it's, what it's called, but it's a little shelter awesome. in in Oakley, and yeah, very excited. Keeping about. keeping Randall some company. I like it. I exactly. like it. Um, look, a lot, a lot has been made, uh, at least from what I have sort of seen on Twitter. I haven't been as uh, prominent on there. Not that I'm overly prominent on there anyway, but there's talk of, and this is kind of a take this how you will, uh, just kind of food for thought. There's a lot of talk about people liking Bijan or by John Robinson. I don't know if I'm saying his, his first name, right? The Texas running back, exciting, exciting player. Kind of, if you want to use a, a baseball metaphor, kind of a five-tool player, right? Pass seems to pass block well, runs well, uh, can catch the ball, do a lot of different things for you. But again, there's that stigma of first-round running backs. There's a stigma of paying running backs. Has to be a generational talent type of thing. Um, and we've talked about what the Bengals' trends are traditionally in their draft history. So let's just say over, what is it, 54, 55 years of draft pick at this point, right? 1968 through 2022. Um, the Bengals have picked a running back. How many times would you think that the Bengals, just off the top of your head, have picked a running back in the first round in their 55-ish year history? At least two, no more than three. It's four. Oh, damn. Um, but let's, let's go with it. Archie Griffin, the two-time... Heisman Trophy winner from Ohio State, 1976. He was the first one. Charles Alexander, whom we had on the show uh, before the last Super Bowl appearance by the Bengals. Go check out that fun interview. Great guy. Uh, Out of LSU, Bengals had two first-round picks that year. They got quarterback Jack Thompson and then Charles Alexander in that draft. And then they went all the way, all the way until 1995. Kajana Carter, running back. Um, and then, of course, you had uh, most recently, 2000, almost two decades ago, we're talking Chris Perry. Um, so I don't know if that points, I mean, what is that? You know, if you're talking about four divided by, let's just do rough math. Um, that's 7.2% of your first round picks positionally have gone to running back if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, four in total. I don't know that we talk about how the Bengals value, devalue certain positions. I just don't know that that's in the cards for them. Um, I, I, I just, I don't see it. I, I, I see offensive tackle right now is a big, big deal. Obviously, you know, you'll see how free agency plays out. Maybe they lose Pratt. Maybe they lose, you know, some of these other guys and they adjust their focus a little bit there, but they're going to, they're going to go in there feeling like they don't need to draft specific positions, but, I would be hard pressed to believe that the Bengals go somewhere other than maybe offensive line in that, at the end of that first round, stranger things have happened though. Um, and that last pick by Perry was in the early mid twenties. I think it was maybe 24 overall. I'll have to look. Um, yeah. So, you know, you're getting in that range where maybe the Bengals are like, well, I mean, this is borderline a second round pick at 28 anyway. Um, still, I just, I don't know that I see that. I know there's a lot of talk about Robinson, but I don't know that I see it. Well, they traded back for Perry, right? Like they almost picked. Uh, they could have picked Stephen Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. So, and 
I, I know we talk a lot about trends here in, in historical data, but I mean, 2005, I think was if Duke Tobin was with the Bengals, like he was not the director of player personnel at that point, or if he was, it was very early in his reign. Uh, in the last 10, 12, whatever years, like the trend is the second round for the Bengals, right? That's Giovanni Bernard, yep. that's Jeremy Hill, that's Joe Mixon. And yeah, that's been their doing Kenny Irons. I mean, uh, the list exactly. that, that's, that's the round. Yeah. So, so if, yeah, if we want to talk about drafting running back early, like the second round is where we look, but that's why we're talking about offensive tackle, cornerback, tight end. That's why you see a lot of mocks with those positions because that's, that's, those are the positions that this, uh, this Bengals group of front office, that's the positions that they target. So I, I think being in the, the very last part of the first round maybe puts that into jeopardy. Maybe you see a position that they don't normally take, but still it, the optics of getting out of a Joe Mixon contract because you're paying him too much to then draft a first round running back. It just seems, seems a little weird to me, despite the fact that Robinson looks like a really good dude. He, he does look like a very good player. And you know, if, if the Bengals go a different direction at that position for a variety of different reasons, he would be, you know, probably someone that, would be a good fit, but again, you got to look at value and, and all kinds of different aspects of it. And the Bengals really look at the history, four picks in their history in the first round at the running back position. So that, again, it's kind of like, well, take that for what you will. There's a maybe, I guess, a seven, seven and a half percent chance that the Bengals, <laughs> if you're basing it on history, uh, the Bengals go running back in the first round. We're going to get out of here. He's John Shearer, and I'm Anthony Kazenza. Get this show on your favorite audio platform through the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. Do us a favor, leave us a review, hopefully a five-star one. Through that, if you can, that helps us out. And of course, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel icon beneath John and that SB Nation logo. Subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. We'll keep hammering you with content through the rest of this spring and through draft season, through free agency, all of it will be there for you. Take care, and John, we'll, we'll talk soon, bud. Talk to you in March. Ha, ha, ha.